0: Well, hello and welcome everyone to this special episode on Bus Talk. Leadership Studio presents the Corner Office. Now, let me begin with a short story. While we were growing up, I mean climbing up the management ladder, it was a dream to be in the Corner Office. And we worked tirelessly to get across the aisle, you know, starting from the far end of the corridor and grinding it out in the middle, navigating through competition, commotion, promotions and tons of hard work. Then one day, when it was time and we were just ready to move in, the corner office disappeared. The work culture had changed to open seating, which meant everybody now sat across the floor instead of the proverbial corner office. Which as it stands today is nothing but your own home office, such as life or as they say Gai bhai spani mein. And So in today's discussion, I will talk with somebody who has been a bona fide occupant of that corner office for a long time and share what it takes to get there. Friends, I have a fascinating discussion lined up for you today. So if you are a sales leader or aspire to be one or just a new manager, this podcast will surely leave you with some nuggets to better understand the corporate world around you. The questions are aimed to make you think and reflect, not just at your leadership quotient today, but how it may shape your career tomorrow. It's about everything you wanted to know but were hesitant to ask. To help us understand better, I have invited a seasoned sales leader to share an unconstrained point of view on the why, what and how of sales leadership. Inviting this personality is a bit nostalgic, a bit dramatic, a bit fantastic and a bit cathartic. One tends to remember those who helped shape your thinking in formative management years. This person has been the proverbial alpha sales leader for most part, having led complex businesses from Lotus to Oracle, to his latest AI-based fintech venture Goals 101. With strong Netritva skills, he led his leadership team, the Netritwa team, to great success. He is a directory on Art of War and for many of his diehard fans, he is God's gift to management kind and sets fire to leadership style content and quotient. Ladies and gentlemen, I am delighted to welcome Mr. Sandeep Mathur. Great. Let's begin with sales leadership. As a sales leader, Sandeep, what do you think is the the toughest part in two thousand and twenty, sales leader, a typical sales leader in two thousand and twenty. What are the two or three things which are really tough? In today's world, I think the toughest thing is is survival,
1: right? And and let me elaborate on that because that's a very broad term. The the drama that that we are all witnessing is obviously hyper change. You know, anybody who tells me that they can anticipate things that are going to happen is lying to you, or has factored in all the risks that are possible. Complete lying nobody could have seen what happened with COVID. And it just, for most people, I think it just became real. When it started, I can tell you within the company, we had set up some ground rules and we said, well, if Delhi hits the 50 mark, you know, we will sort of panic. And if it hits 500, well, there'll be total panic, right? The reality is that we started hitting, you know, more than 500 every day, right? Very, very quickly. So, Right, and you know we are still sitting here and talking, and you know the business is 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 now, just now coming back. So as a sales leader, I think the the biggest thing is you can't control what you can't control. So you can't anticipate a lot of things, and therefore having agility is the biggest thing. Right? Can you understand the trends faster than anybody else when things start happening? When things start unraveling, can you do you get it? Do you have a ear close to the ground? And that's back to the earlier philosophy of how closely invested you are with teams. Right? Can you actually see across different team members and what they're telling you and build an image or a picture about it and therefore be agile and say, okay, how am I going to change my messaging? How am I going to change my, uh, give my feedback to my product development or, or any of those business units so that they can sort of offer up a better product, better this thing? So it's a lot of that, I think, that sales leaders have to do. The traditional sort of whipping ass and saying, Okay, now, you know, I'm taking out my hunter or my hunter Nikalki Chalu you know. That that philosophy
0: but this was the same what, message in 2010 the set of thoughts that you just shared yeah are, were as applicable in 2010 so what's changed in 2020
1: Yeah, I, well the other thing that's of course changed uh, and
0: good question right
1: uh the what's what's also changed in 2020 is the is like i said is, is one of the ways is the ways customers are buying your product so product discovery mm-hmm. understanding of of how customers buy want to buy your products has all changed dramatically i mean a lot of times now you know, people are buying your, discovering your products online, buying your products online. So, you know, the classic thing that you had about sales data was, well, I'm going to look at a certain set of key KPIs, right? I'm going to look at pipeline. I'm going to look at, the, you know, those KPIs have now turned upside down. I mean, there are many, many different KPIs that you now need to look at in order to ascertain. The, the other thing which I've always been a big fan of is that, you know, are you pushing your product or are you creating a pull for your product? And therefore, the role of sales and marketing is also about, are you being consultative or are you being the pushy, aggressive salesperson? That has changed dramatically, I think. I think most customers today prefer the latter. And so the styles have changed, the data has changed, as well as the way you put your message out has changed, according to me, a lot more than what it was in 2010,
0: then in 2020. If so much has changed, between now and 2025, think from an automation standpoint and human interactivity standpoint how things stand today that people are still relationship dependent equations dependent moving forward do you think there is an impact on automation that will creep into sales careers or senior sales careers admitted that the new generation or people around the 30 year mark 30 year age mark have different mindset of progressing their careers but those who are in their senior management uh, tenures as we speak what do you think the automation impact will have on their careers huge
1: huge and if well, i if i were in any job i would be worried if i am in sales i will be equally worried there was a book i read a handbook and for the life of me i can't um, i can't remember what the name of that book was it was a very small 25 page handbook every single page of that book was was like a word from the future <laughs> Uh, you know, and one of the things it said is that in in 50 years time, so that was, I think, uh, you know, by 2040, I guess, if you if you sort of look at the time I read the book, it was early 90s, I think, you know, it said that in 50 years time, there will be a man and a dog or and the man would operate the, the machine, but the dog would be there that the man or the man will observe the, observe the machine and the dog would be there. So the man doesn't touch the machine was something to that (laughs) effect, right? It was very weird. And I didn't understand the importance of it, but now I get it, right? I mean, you you will have a few people who will just look at sort of machine dynamics of, I mean, look at chatbots, for example, right? Chatbots are going to wipe away multiple set of careers. And if not already. And so I Hmm. think sales, if the discovery of the platform is going to be online, if people are going to pick and choose and run pilots online, then honestly, why do I need a number of salespeople? And so, mm. the only thing that's going to keep you in the game is going to be two things. One is high levels of cognitive ability. And that's why you see people getting smarter and smarter and smarter. Because if you want to beat the machines, you got to be smarter. But it's not just basic cognitive ability. Because like machines are proven, they will be better than us. In cognition, the, the thing that's going to help you is the emotional part of it. Because that will take at least 100 years. And hopefully, all of you will have very successful careers till then. So... Hone in the emotional part. That is that is the element I think, which currently, given that I work for a for an AI company, I can tell you that that's the toughest thing to to do. Um, and there we have we have many many years to go before that sort of solves. But the classic classic sort of repeatability, you know, all of that sort of roles, do it once, do it again. That sort of roles are going to start disappearing very very
0: quickly. Right now, I was just thinking in in a subscription economy therefore yes that you're saying that relationships and the classic old roller and my equation with the customer those scenarios are going to be history or just what you said was the eq part of it kind of also brings back the relevance of relationship so isn't that self-contradictory in its own way
1: uh well it's not it, it, what i meant to say was that people who a higher on an iq level i am glad you asked that question so i can clarify the 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 relationships going forward will be built using that eq factor if if large enterprises see the value in having relationships because hey i can talk to you about uncertainty of my business and emotional appeal versus uh, saying that you know because what happens in a in a mechanized world is that there is a there is a format and there are rules and everything gets driven by those rules, right? Uh, in the past, if you see a lot of salespeople, people have gone in and said, well, this is my, the way my company operates and therefore I can't change the rules. Well, wrong answer, right? Because if, if that's what you're saying, then that a machine can do. But if you say, let me see how I can accommodate you. Let me see how I can make a few calls, you know, back to sort of how can I bring the best of my company to you. If you are that kind of a player, you will always be in the in the need, And so those are the kind of people that people will, uh, companies will want to keep. And those are the kind of people that, that customers would like to engage with. But if you are somebody who's sort of spewing out a rule book and, and the only reason they're tolerating you is because you're an account manager from a company, which is well known, like a branded company, then those jobs are going to start disappearing very quickly. We are starting to see that at the bottom in the market already, right? So if there are no significant relationships, then those folks or those, those places, it's going away the roles are turning to be more customer success. Like if you talk to a lot of SaaS companies, they will give more emphasis on the customer success role than let's say the selling role. It's starting to change already, especially for people who are doing more inbound oriented sales, which we've also started seeing increasingly happen, right? So you're going to see that more and more. I'm seeing the early signs of it. You are going to see more and more.
0: But Sandeep, if the general trend is from complexity to simplicity, people are becoming... Uh, simplifying things and therefore standardizing it eventually then in in a subscription economy where the customer is that much more informed that all i need to do is download the console for example in in the cloud landscape all you need to do is have an auto scaler and you know takes care of my crests and trough i really don't need any further information from a human anymore So, therefore, by that design, then the relationship is redundant uh, as long as I have the information. So, do you think information is replacing relationship or do you think the other way around?
1: I'll tell you what I need, though. So, all the things that you said are extremely relevant. What, uh, What I don't get is what is the experience of somebody like me as a company using that product. So, let's say I was using CRM for the first time. I was migrating to a new CRM. Then, as a company how does if i'm a logistics company for example right how have other customers had issues with how have they implemented it how have they managed change management within the company any new process any new product requires it and we know for a fact that most enterprise products where they fail is not so much about feature functionality is about the usage of the product right how How much value are customers ready to get out of that product? Because in your evaluation, you would have taken care of a number of things. There are so many evaluation tools available. The success or failure post that, uh, the value quotient, deriving value, is not based on features and all of that. It's actually based on how you utilize. Which is why I said that the customer success people are starting to become far more important than the hit and run sales thing, right? Which is, you know, they used to be called hunters in the past, right? That this person goes and hunts. Right and and all
0: hunters and farmers. Right. Like
1: now when you look at it, you go, "Really, we were calling these people hunters?" That's not a. You don't want to kill a customer, right? you know? They're all all bad and, uh, and, and
0: get money off them and get money money off them. exactly
1: exactly. So it was just a very very bad connotation, I think. But yeah, so I think that's a dying art, to my mind. It's a dying skill. They will always. I mean, like when I say that, I'm I'm safe seeing the majority, right? There will be people who will always be required and there will be products which have to be pushed. And so there you will always find that role. But majority, I think you would have seen, in fact, if you look at your own buying style, you will see a big change. I see the buying styles of millennials and it's the moment they see pushy, hard, all of that, they back off. They don't want to buy from such people. They like to sort of be in an advisory mode, consultative mode, you know, get give me more information how have people who have used this product benefited or seen or whatever? And so I think that's the way, uh, and they say, right, the the way you sell is the way you buy. And so unless you can incorporate these habits in, in your own style, you will not be able to sell like that. So if you're a hunter, I'm sorry, this is bad news for you. Right? You <laughs> thought you were great, but sorry, you're part of a dying breed now.
0: Expiry date. Expiry date, right. exactly. <laughs> No, it gives a perfect segue into the next set of questions. These are around millennials, and you mentioned a couple of things around them. Now, most of the mid-management, mid-management who, are, who have people management responsibilities are dealing with millennials. So, workforces have almost three generations working together uh, under the same roof, as it were, under the one roof. And therefore, there are conflicting styles, ideas, and, uh, you know, motivations, like you just mentioned so the FOMO gen you know the fear of missing out generation despite having everything they fear missing out something which is basis nothing so what are they really missing out in your opinion and and, and uh, it's like I, I call them the snowflake generation perhaps we come from that hunter mindset where you are expected to be tough And so is it now that if you are high maintenance, then that's how the world should treat you or should they toughen you up? I know there are multiple questions, but the first one I'm trying to ask is, what are your thoughts on FOMO gen and what are they really missing out?
1: Yeah, I mean you know, it's again very hard. I, I try and I try and learn every day, right? And and one of the things that, that you have to be good at, I think, if you wanna be in sales generally is that, you know, you have to be empathetic, right? You have to try and put yourself in the in the other person's shoes and that's And so you do it for so many years, it happens naturally. You start sort of thinking about the other person and think about what they feel. I I still get surprised. I think I I get this generation more than I used to a few years ago. Now we are within the company. Our average age is 26, 27. So I get to see a lot more of these. Uh, and, And the youngest is probably 22, 23. And... So, you know, I get to see a lot more of, of these people coming through. Uh, and, and like I said, there are so many nice things about the generation because, you know, they, there is no, uh, I mean, the intelligence levels are higher. There is nothing that they can't achieve seemingly. I think the frustration stems from because of social media is that, you know, you are missing what you are, what you don't know. It's I don't know what my friends are going to put up tomorrow and will I be the first to do it or not? I think that's what they're missing, yeah? So it's like waking up and realizing, heck, somebody discovered a new restaurant which was five blocks away from me. Somebody discovered a new hobby which I had not thought about. One of these, one of very good friends of ours, in the company told me that, you know, he started learning Sanskrit. Like he paid, I think, 500 rupees to a guru who came and taught Sanskrit to all these 23, 24 years old. And he thought it was great because the next day it was on his Insta page and a lot of people liked it. So I wasn't sure if, was learning Sanskrit for Sanskrit or was it for Insta or what was the outcome that was... But a lot of people don't think like, they don't think like, oh, I'm learning Sanskrit because I want to, you know, read the Vedas or I want to read something. Uh, That was my motivation to do it in the the mid-20s or early 30s, like... I wanted to discover life. And I said, okay, if everything is in the Vedas, then let's go and read it at the root. So let's learn a little bit of similar. Now it's Wikipedia,
0: poetry. I guess. People will learn, learn it from Wikipedia.
1: Wikipedia, exactly. So, you know, so I, I don't know. I mean, I that's what I guess. I guess that people get really upset. And so it's the it's the fear of the unknown. Actually, the FOMO is not so much fear of missing out. It's fear of the unknown on social media or something, right? Maybe you can coin a term there, right?
0: And and so the sales manager, how does he motivate the unmotivated, as it were? And these are the most employable category in the employment cycle, right? Zero to four, zero to five years of work X. They know that they are very easily transferable. Their skill sets are easily employable elsewhere. So now the sales manager is in quandary. Do I, in one instance, one of the sales managers said to me that, you know, I use the word battle. We've got to battle. We've got to fight it hard. And this uh, snowflake says, why do you make it everything to be a battle you know it could be a walk in That's the park why yeah. does it have to be such a fight all the right. time so he, this person was yes. completely perplexed that how else do i motivate a sales force
1: yeah so those words are are passe right battle war we gotta win <laughs> uh, you know these are, if you use these words you would switch a lot would of traditionally people you out, right? would call them because... softies <laughs> yeah exactly you would you would you would you would you would and so, and so life has changed and altered, right? Um, I think there are no absolute winners or losers in that world. You know, everybody's a winner, right? Because uh, if I went from zero to one and somebody went zero to 100 at the same same day or same hour, that's fine. The zero to one is also a winner. Zero to 100 is also a winner. So call it what you may, I think that's what we're dealing. And we can make fun of it, but that's the reality, right? That's the way the mindset is. And therefore, I think the, the real... The real skill in all of this is creating value out of what, what you're trying to do. Keep coming back to that, right? The mission has got to be, and mission may be, again, a, a wrong word, but, you know, the, <laughs> the, because everything has a, has a war connotation in our life, right? That's how you brought up. But you've, you've got to set a stage which says that, the, that what you're doing, this is how it's going to help. And I think the moment you start providing that purpose, what you will find is that millennials uh, get drawn to purpose very quickly. And if that purpose is even bigger than theirs, then it's awesome. So that gives me money, gives me great lifestyle, gives me great sociability. And I have a bigger purpose that I'm pursuing. Like I can talk at a party and say, this is what I'm doing. Or I can put a tweet around it or, or socially message that out. I think those are the things you got to watch out for. And so creating the purpose or crafting the purpose is, is probably a very, very important thing. I would generally say about that, that about businesses, right? That... If businesses haven't created a purpose, and it was if it was, and they didn't understand the larger sort of goal of the company, then then I think it'll be it'll be harder going forward. I mean, I don't recall ever. I think in in Oracle, uh, having worked there for a number of years, that Larry would sort of send out an email and say, "This is the vision of my company." Right? Um, I do that right. every month right. now. <laughs> I do it all hands. I fill out the vision. I send some three four emails in the month. I have chats with a lot of people. I actually go out of my way to explain to them what the greater purpose, the greater good that we're causing. And so you have to be at it. Get used to talking a lot and explaining yourself more so that you clarify and you help. So communication skills and the way you communicate will become very important for for leaders who are in between the space, right, where you're, uh, where you're talking to multiple generations.
0: Right. Well, that brings us to the end of the second segment of very, very insightful thoughts. And the message that I'm getting is, you've got to unlearn to learn yeah, things course, and it's new things or new skill it's sets. Yeah. <laughs> Great. That was quite insightful and helpful. Thanks for your thoughts there, Sandeep. It gives me the perfect segue for us to move into the next segment. Well ladies and gentlemen, if you liked that part of the corner office, be sure to tune into the next episode as we explore all the four corners of the corner office. In section three, we talk about skills needed to manage the top talent. Everybody wants a dragon warrior, but are you a master Shifu? Have you ever thought about it? How do we separate mediocrity from excellence? Or we talk about the sales pressure and intensity which leads to a burnout and the ways and means to manage amid this pandemic. We touch upon the proverbial American dream and ask if it's over, does it have a future or how do we manage an APAC dominated management style? And so friends, if you don't want to miss this, be sure to subscribe to Bus Talk. It's available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for our android users and if you just want to listen to it on the web hop on to anchor.fm forward slash gyanban we're not just corner office but the rest of the management podcasts are listed as well if you have questions or comments send me a voice note in the link below or email gyanban at gmail.com that's g-y-a-n-b-a-n-n tweet a hashtag gyanban and i'll try and include them in the next episode till then be well stay safe and get your a-game to work this is your host gb and you are listening to bus talk leadership studios corner office